Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden and I'm your host for this podcast. Alright, so in this week of Ben disappointing me, um, I found out that uh, two actors in a whole bunch of franchises that I love are drum supporters. Um, so, I'm sure you all know Tim Allen. You know, he was in lo- loads and loads of Christmas movies in the early 2000s, and I, as a child of the early 2000s, uh, loved all his Christmas movies. But it turns out he's a Trump supporter. And it has very much disappointed me that Santa Claus <laughs> is a Trump supporter. Uh, the other guy who has disappointed me with being a Trump supporter is John Voight. And uh, I believe I've mentioned it on this show. I love the National Treasure movies. I have ever since I was a kid. And uh, now when I watch those movies, I'm going to cheer when they hit him over the head with something. Because now I'm just going to find it funny. <laughs> yeah, so now the National Treasure movies are ruined for me. Um, nothing else, there's nothing else really going on with me this week, so let's just get right into the topic at hand. Today we are discussing Roxana of Bactria. Now, you've probably never heard of her, but you have probably heard of her husband, Alexander the Great, and she was one of his many, many wives. Um, now, a a lot of people usually aren't interested in Roxana for various reasons, because, you know, some people just don't find her interesting, but, um, I got really interested in in her, uh, when I watched, uh, the Alexander movie that they made in 2004, um, even though it's not a very good movie, (laughs) I got interested in wanting to tell her story, so I decided that this week I was going to try and cover her, and boy was it difficult, uh, but I think I, uh, did my best, and I'm gonna try and tell, uh, her story from her perspective, so let's get into it. Okay, so Roxana was born in about 340 BC, probably, um, in the province of Bactria to a minor nobleman named, oh, okay, now I can pronounce this, I can do it, Oxyartes, Oxyartes, Oxyartes is what we're going with, if I have to pronounce it again, uh, maybe we'll go with ox or something like that. Um, Roxana's mother, however, is unknown. Uh, now, with Roxana being born in 340 BC, it officially makes her the oldest queen I've ever covered. Um, you know, she predates Cleopatra by quite a few centuries. And, like I said before, because of how ancient she is and the fact that she was such a minor noblewoman in the first place, uh, research for this episode was super tough because she only starts to get better documented when the man of the story shows up, which is, of course, typical. <laughs> but there's not much I can do about that. So, you know, I just need everyone to kind of bear with me because we're going to be doing a whole bunch of guessing about what what Roxana was like. This is just kind of like my own like opinions and what I'm garnering from the research that I've done. Uh, now, since we can't talk about her sign because we have no idea when her birthday is, um, I actually kind of want to talk about her name because I think her name is, like, pretty unique to the show so far because Roxana is so pretty. Um, I mean, I think it is. Um, so her name is actually of Persian origin and it essentially means, uh, bright or dawn, which I think is very, very beautiful. Nice name, Roxana. Good for you. Sorry, I gotta take a drink. Hold a sec. Okay. 
So to start, I want to talk about Roxana's dad and my theory as to why we don't know who her mother is. Now, her dad was this uh, nobleman named Oxyartes or Ox. <laughs> and as far and as far as I know, uh, he was likely a part of the military because we do have records of him at several battles. So I think he was like some sort of general or something who was in service of the Persian Empire, which is what Bactria was a part of, which, you know, we'll talk about when we get there. Uh, but other than that, we don't really have much about his early life beyond that. Uh, then we come to Roxanne's mother, and it's completely unknown who she was. We have no name, no anything, and I was curious as to why that was. I mean, surely it would be important for someone to write down, from Alexander's camp, to write down the name of uh, his wife's mother i'm sorry i'm having like a stuttery day today and i just can't say things um you know i did actually f- find a line when i was researching roxana that uh, roxana's dad did have a wife so like she was there or maybe this was like a stepmom or something i don't know it just annoys the shit out of me that we don't know anything about roxana's mom or anything but you know i digress um <laughs> Now, normally at this point in the episode, um, I would get into Roxana's childhood, but as I've talked about, she's not very well documented for the first, like, decade and a half of her life. So, what we're going to do is some educated guesses based on the stuff I read about Bactrian and Persian society to give us an idea about how Roxana might have grown up. So, her home of Bactria is a province that stretches from modern-day Iran, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, and Tajikistan. I think I pronounced that. I'm so sorry to any of the people who live in those places. <laughs> and it also stretches just a bit into Pakistan. So there was a great mix of Middle Eastern cultures already there. Now, about 300 years before Roxana was born, this dude named Cyrus the Great invaded Bactria and it was added to the Persian Empire. So Roxana uh, grew up in a place that was very dominated by Persian culture for about three centuries by the time she was born. And I kind of I kind of went into this huge rabbit hole about the Persian Empire. And they were guys; these guys were cool motherfuckers. So the Persians were like really good craftsmen. Like their metalwork is beautiful. And guys, the carpets, the Persian carpets—they are so cool. They made so many nice fucking carpets. I I just like spent hours looking at the carpets from per- the Persian Empire because they're so cool. <laughs> And uh, Roxana, as the daughter of a nobleman, she probably would have spent a lot of time at home, as was normal for girls at the time. And since her father uh, was a military man, she may have accompanied him to go see the governor of Bactria, maybe, I'm not sure. Uh, But I'm sure at some point she got the chance to, you know, soak up all that culture, because, like I said, the Persian Empire was pretty fucking lit. It was pretty cool. Very, very (laughs) culture-y. Now, again, normally, at this point in the episode, I talk about a girl's education, but since we have no written record if she got an education at all, I looked up what a typical Persian education would have looked like, and it wasn't very illustrious. I'm not even sure if Roxana knew how to read, but her primary education would have been focused on, you know, how to be a good wife, how to raise children, how to manage a household. Uh, meanwhile, her brother, she did have siblings, though I don't know any of their names. I know she had a couple of sisters and a few brothers or something like that, but not really sure. Um, her brothers would have been learning military tactics, and I even read that reading and writing amongst most people in Persia was fairly low, like they had a low literacy rate for some reason, uh, because their society was actually way more dependent on war for men and d- domestic duties for women. Uh, one part of her education, which was probably uh, maybe the most, like the best part, like 
I don't know how to say it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't know how to say it. Would have been her religious education, which I'm actually really excited to talk about because Roxana was uh, a follower of Zoroastrianism, which is currently the oldest still practiced religion in the world. In fact, Freddie Mercury lead singer of Queen, uh, his parents were devout followers of Zoroastrianism, and this was, like, back in the 40s all the way into the 80s. I, I forget when they died, but they still followed it, and it's it's still in practice now. Many people still practice Zoroastrianism, and I actually believe it was one of the first uh, monotheistic religions, which means you worship one god like how Christianity is today, and it's thought that it's, like, the basis for most monotheistic religions today, which I think is, you know, pretty cool. Um, cause I bet you think like in this area of the world, they'd practice Islam, but that, that just wasn't the case at the time. Now onto the topic of what she looked like. That is very, very difficult to figure out because she's never actually described explicitly like by features, like she had all oh, this colored hair and this colored skin and this colored eyes, but there's nothing like that. All I've ever seen described about her is people gushing about hot, how hot she was, apparently. Um, and also the fact that the empire she lived in is so culturally diverse, it's kind of hard to tell what she might have looked like. And I was looking, I was actually trying to find, like, videos and see if anyone had anything on that, or, or to talk a bit more about her. And I went to the comments of that video, and there was a full fucking war going on in there about her ethnicity. Like, people were, like, yelling at each other in the comments of this YouTube video. You know, some people claimed she was Afghan, some say Iranian, others say she was Persian, and not to mention in the Alexander movie from 2004, she's played Rosario Dawson, who's Puerto Rican, and, yeah, I believe Rosario Dawson is Afro-Latino, so, you know, it's even more confusing. Um, however, it's very possible that she was all of those Middle Eastern ethnicities considering the diversity of Persia, and since we don't have, like, her family line or where any of her ancestors were from, so here's my educated guess. <laughs> um, I imagine her with, like, light brown skin, dark hair, dark eyes, you know, just this really gorgeous girl, you know, exactly how historians, um, describe her. Also, it was really difficult to discern what she might have looked like because the only like, portraits of her are, like, painted in the Greek style, because, you know, Alexander was Greek, uh, and she looks, like, really white <laughs> in those, um, portraits, so, like, I just kind of imagine her as looking, like, really, like, Afghani, if, if, if that makes any sense, but, yeah, um, you know, just this beautiful girl who happened to capture the eye of a certain conqueror who might be rolling into the story a bit, hmm. Okay, so as much as I would like to not talk about Alexander, because this is, of course, Roxana's story, um, but it's basically impossible to uh, not talk about Roxana without Alexander, and I actually do find Alexander very, very interesting. So, let's get to know the Conqueror. So, Alexander was born in 556 BC in Macedonia, which is basically uh, northern Greece in modern day. Um, and Alexander was the son of this dude named Philip II of Macedonia, who was actually a very impressive dude on his own. And Alexander, after his dad died, was able to get his grubby little 20-year-old hands <laughs> on the Macedonian throne through some not-so-ethical methods. Um, and Alexander decided the first thing he wanted to do while he was king was fuck up some Persians. <laughs> Now, in Alexander's defense, he did have a reason for this. You know, a few decades prior to this, when his dad was king, 
Um, he started a war with the Persians to expand the kingdom, you know, just a little bit. Uh, not to mention the Greeks and Persians had some other long-standing beef, but that would be a whole other episode. We don't have time for that. Um, think Pelop- no, sorry, not Peloponnesian War. What's it? What is it? <laughs> Whatever 300 is based on, that was some beef that they had. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> Now, Alexander, clearly being his father's son, decided that invasion sounded like a great idea. So he packed up his army and he packed up his broskies and started marching. And I cannot express how impressive of a leader Alexander was. Like, I'm fairly sure in his campaign against the Persian Empire, Alexander never lost a fucking battle, which is mildly distressing if you're a Persian. (laughs) Because they were getting their asses whooped by a 20-year-old child. Now, Alexander made his way through modern-day Turkey, fucked up some Persians there. Then he went to the Middle East, fucked up some Persians there, then took a detour, conquered Egypt to make himself pharaoh, because, you know, why not? And, you know, he was just not stopping. And all of this shit ended up coming to a head at the Battle of Gargamela, which is a really one of my favorite battles when I um, discuss Alexander, because it was pretty crazy. Now, I read that the king of Persia, whose name was uh, Darius III, I think I'm pronouncing that. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing his name right. Uh, Anyway, Darius had an army of millions, and because of this, he was pretty confident in the fact that he was going to win. In fact, he was so confident, he brought his wife and his children to watch the battle. Um, But unfortunately for Darius, he lost. And he lost by a lot. (laughs) And because he lost, and because he brought his family to the battle, Alexander was not only able to win said battle, he was able to capture basically the entire royal family, except for Darius, who ran off with some of his highest officials, including this dude named Bessus, who was the governor of Bactria, which means Roxana's dad was also with this posse, because he was one of the men under Bessus' leadership. Now, uh, this little posse was trying to go to Bactria so Darius could build a new army and take his empire back because, you know, Alexander had it. And it actually took them a while to get up, get up there because I'm not, I can't remember where Gargamela is on the map, but Bactria is pretty far from there. So it took them like a year and a half just to get that far. Uh, now, the reasons they were going to Bactria was because Bactria was actually fairly important militarily to Persia. Uh, like, I read Bactrians were famous for being superb ho- horse riders, and they were also good horse breeders, which, and horses are very important in war, so that's why they were going That's why they were going there. But uh, Darius never ends up making it to Bactria. Now, why is that, you ask? Well, uh, Bessus, uh, the governor of Bactria, who was supposed to be a loyal member of Darius's military betrayed Darius, murdered him, and the bestest was like, yo, I'm the king of Persia now. Fuck you, Alexander. And he tried to gather support in Bactria for himself and take the empire back. But it did not go well because Alexander was ready to scrap with Bessus. <laughs> so Alexander was like, alright, let's chase him down, boys. Um... <laughs> But Alexander didn't really have to do much work because Bessus's men, who were probably sick of his shit at this point, uh, gave him to Alexander. And Alexander was, like, really pissed at Bessus. Because one of the things I admire about Alexander is that for the most part, 
when he was conquering people, he was respectful to his enemies. And he was disgusted that Bessus had murdered Darius because that was his king and he was supposed to be loyal to him. So he had Bessus executed. And I have two stories about his execution that are uh, both gnarly. <laughs> so Bessus was either crucified, which is pretty brutal, or Bessus was tied to two trees that were bent together and then they cut the tree loose and then Bessus was torn apart. He was ripped apart by the force. Wow, that's creative. I wonder what dude came up with that. Like, Alexander, I think we should tie Bessus to a tree and then just let it go and watch him get ripped apart. (laughs) That's some creativity. That is some serious creativity. Good good job whoever came up with that. Sorry, drink again. Um, alright. Anyway, even with Darius and Bessus dead, Bactria was still resisting Alexander. So Alexander decided to go to Bactria and quell the rebellion. And after every all that shit that had happened with Darius and Bessus, Roxana's dad was like, fuck, we need to fucking hide. So he uh, packs up him and his family and they went to hide in this fortress in uh, Sogdia, which is a neighboring province that's more northern. I'm not quite sure what modern day country it's in. It's like Central Asia, sort of. Um, so this fortress was supposed to be impossible to take, but apparently not for Alexander. Um, Alexander chose his best climbers to scale the walls of the fortress, and when Roxana and her family woke up, the soldiers were inside the walls. So Roxana's dad was like, yeah, okay, this is over, and he surrendered, like, without a fight. Now, I can't imagine what Roxana must have been feeling when she woke up on that day the soldiers were in the walls. I mean, can you imagine for most of your life hearing about this, you know, great Alexander who's just been, like, crushing the Persian Empire bit by bit, and suddenly he's here and in front of you, and he's actually, like, a really chill dude when he gets there, and he's, like, oddly nice to Roxana and her whole family. And, you know, it's around this time where uh, Alexandra starts taking notice of our girl Roxana, which is could be good or bad based on what you think. Okay, so let's start talking about the start of Alexander and Roxana's relationship. So it is believed that they met at a banquet after her father surrendered, where she danced for Alexander because apparently she was like really good at dancing, like it was a thing that she liked to do. And um, apparently for Alexander, it was like love at first sight and he wanted to marry her. Now, it's not really known if he was, like, actually in love with her or if he just, like, wanted a good political match because he was afraid that the Bactrians would, like, revolt again. But it kind of seems odd that someone like Alexander would want to marry this random, low-rung nobleman's daughter. So, you know, maybe it was love or maybe it was a calculated political move on Alexander's part. Um, One of the things I did read that it was not a popular idea with Alexander's generals, aka his bros, um, they did not see any point in Alexander marrying this random nobody from nowhere. But Alexander clearly didn't care what his bros had to say because Roxanne and Alexander did get married sometime in 327 BC. Um, And if you've been keeping up with the math between Roxanne and Alexander, uh, that makes Roxanne a grand total of 13 years old. And Alexander was about 28. Ew. Gross. Um, I didn't know this prior to researching this episode because it's like almost never mentioned in stuff about Alexander. 
that Roxanna was 13, he was 28. They always make her an adult, because I guess it looks less gross that way, but that's how it happened. Um, so we have no description of their wedding, um, but I'm pretty sure it was, like, probably, like, very in the Persian style, because Alexander also had a thing for merging cultures, so it was probably very Persian, maybe with, like, a little Greek added in, you know. It was probably super fun for everyone, except for Roxana, because, like, you know, wouldn't you be scared? Um, I'm pretty sure she probably expected to, you know, be married off young, but to be married to someone as important, as important, I'm sorry, as Alexander with his ever-growing empire, and of him naming cities after himself everywhere, um... (laughs) I think it would be terrifying for any 13-year-old at any time to be married to someone like that when you were only prepared to be married to someone who was going to fade into obscurity at some point with no political importance. But here she was, the wife of one of the most powerful men in the world. And God, it must have been so terrifying, especially that young. Now, after Roxanne and Alexander got married, he took her back to the city of Susa, where Alexander organized a mass wedding for himself and his generals. Now, Alexander like I said before, was very interested in integrating Greek culture and foreign cultures together. So he set up this big wedding so his generals could take Persian wives, and so that he, according to Persian custom, could take more wives other than Roxana. At this wedding, Alexander ended up marrying the former King Darius's daughter, oh no, how do I pronounce that? Statria? Statria. Statria. Sure, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm bad at pronouncing things. That's just my trademark now. I'm just bad at pronouncing things. Uh, He also married one of uh, Statria's cousins. Uh, He did this so he could be seen as as a more legitimate ruler since he he was married to the former king's daughter and another person of Persian royal blood. Um, And I can't imagine how Roxana felt about this. I imagine she, like, knew of the custom of Persian men taking other wives, but, like... God, I'd be so upset (laughs) if I was her. Now, speaking of her and Alexander, I want to talk about what their relationship might have been like, because, you know, we don't really have a lot of info on what they were like as a couple, but I want to, like, try my best to paint how they might have been. So, it seems that Alexander was, like, a really caring dude towards Roxana, and that he, like, genuinely liked her, and they got along for the most part. Most part, I'm sorry. But, you know, all couples, they have their problems, and I mean, Alexander had other wives. I'm sure she had to work hard to get his attention. And, you know, when he was gone away, you know, conquering and shit. I'm sure it was, you know, just like a regular episode of Sister Wives for these girls. Oh, no, you know, it would be really great. We should, I should fund a show (laughs) about this, and we call it Sister Wives of Babylon. (laughs) That would be a really entertaining show. It would be like our modern sister wives show, but it would just be Roxana and Alexander's other wives in Babylon. That would, It could be like the new Game of Thrones. I'd watch the shit out of that. It would be super dramatic. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sidetracked. I got sidetracked. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. Um, now, one of the other romantic interests in Alexander's life also probably would have caused some interesting thing in Roxana and Alexander's relationship. And this would have been Alexander's possible love. For this dude named Hephaestion, who, by the way, is played by Jared Leto in the 2004 Alexander movie. So, you know, a lot of historians these days are like, oh, there was nothing going on there. They were just good childhood friends, but uh, I'm pretty sure Alexander is supposed to be bisexual. And, you know, Greeks didn't really have any bias 
over being gay or anything, but like, eh. so, uh, one of the things that kind of, like, nails home the idea that they were in love was when Hephaestion ended up dying unexpectedly, and Alexander was, like, distraught, like, more distraught than you would be over a friend, like, he refused to eat or drink for, like, several days, and, like, people were really fucking worried about Alexander's health, but, you know, there's no absolutely hard evidence that they were in love, and, but I personally think there was totally something going on there, but it probably must have been a hard pill to swallow for Roxana. I'm not really sure what the Persian outlook was on homosexuality or bisexuality. I don't know if it was good or bad, but I imagine she must have been a little annoyed that it was happening, and not to mention, I think people forget that the entire time Roxana was married to Alexander, she was a teenager, and, you know, teens will be teens, and she might have thrown a hissy fit in private, or a hissy fit at Alexander, but, you know, who knows. Now, during the time Alexander and Roxana were married, Alexander was still actively conquering, and the place he really wanted to go to next after he finished conquering Persia was into, like, unknown lands towards India, which was largely unexplored, and Alexander was, like, obsessed with it. Like, he couldn't sleep. All he could think about was, I want to go to India. That's where I want to go. And it ended up being one of his hardest campaigns. And as far as Roxana being involved in this, I kept reading, like, contradictory stuff about the India campaign and whether Roxana was there. Like, I read, oh, yeah, she totally went with them, but I read, oh, no, she stayed at Babylon. So, let's just say, for the sake of the story, because I really want to talk about the India campaign, that Roxana was there while Alexander was conquering India. So, Alexander, as you have seen, had a very bad habit of never knowing when enough was enough, and he made his armory go th- army march during any season, and at the time that they were conquering India, India was in the middle of its rainy season. <laughs> Which, if you've ever been to India in the rainy season, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> Especially all the way back then. Um, and it made his soldiers, like, pretty goddamn miserable, and Roxana, if she was there, it probably made her fairly miserable, too. And, uh, while they were there, Alexander came into conflict with a king of the region, and one thing, one thing I found cool about the battle in which the king surrendered is that the king used fucking war elephants. Uh, whoa! Like, can you imagine fighting this foreign army they probably didn't know much about, and they just have these very big animals that are like battering rams um i actually have no idea if alexander's army had even seen elephants before but like can you imagine how terrifying that must have been like you're 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 fighting this battle and then suddenly these large gray animals with spears on their faces <laughs> come at you anyway uh, even though that other guy had war elephants, I don't know how Alexander won, but he did. And when he captured the king, Alexander asked him, how would you like to be treated? And the king said, as a king treats another king. And Alexander was so impressed with that answer, not only did he let the king live, but he made him an ally and gave him back his territory. Which I think was really, really chill of him. Good job, Alexander. Now, after a lot of victories and a lot of giving stuff back, which Alexander did a lot while he was in India, his army was not feeling really well. India was rainy and miserable, and these guys had been by Alexander's side for over a decade, and at this point, they just wanted to go home. (laughs) But Alexander wanted to keep going, but his army was like, no, we're going to commit mutiny if you make us go any farther. We're done. We are so done. So Alexander was like, fine, we can go home. 
So he marched his army back home to Persia, but he was not going to make it easy for his army to get home because he was mad. He marched his ar- half of his army back through this terrible landscape, probably to punish them for asking to go home. Uh, because of as many of the cool qualities that Alexander had that I admire him for, he was also ambush- ambitious, shrewd, and clearly very petty. Many of his men ended up dying on their way back to Babylon because of Alexander, and if Roxana was still there at this point, I imagine it was incredibly miserable for her too. Now, after India, Alexander, he, he just really wasn't the same person. He was depressed and anxious, and especially because right after India, Hephaestion ended up dying. Um, and as we established before, they may or may not have been boyfriends. So, with all this stress, it's really not surprising that Alexander got sick out of nowhere, and this was a huge problem. If he died, like, what would happen to the empire that he had spent nearly a decade at this point building? But, in good news, uh, Roxana was a few months pregnant at the time, but this was still an issue because they couldn't hand over this massive empire to someone that wasn't even born yet. And also, the baby might not have, may not even be a boy, and even if it is a boy, someone needs to run things for this baby. So Alexander's generals, as Alexander lay dying, started discussing some ideas of what they could do. Now, one suggested that they wait till the baby is born and they could act as regents to the kid, but other generals were like, um, no, we're not, we're not gonna do that. Uh, let's divide up the empire, fuck Roxana and that kid, we owe them nothing, and that's what they ended up agreeing to. Uh, if Alexander died, and when he did die, um, on the 10th of June, 323 BC, um, I'm not quite sure what he died of. I read some places said that said he had like some sort of gene- genetic illness, but other people were saying poison. I also read alcohol poisoning was involved, um, but I'm, I'm not really sure how he died. The point is he did die. Uh, one thing Roxana knew for sure when Alexander died was that she was in danger. She had the future of an empire resting on her shoulders or in her stomach, and uh, she had enemies all around her wanting to get rid of her. So Roxana was proactive, and she started to make some moves to secure her child's claim to the throne. One of the first things she did, and this is not necessarily a good thing, was that she decided to get rid of Alexander's two wives. So she had them poisoned, and then when they died, she had their bodies buried in wells, and the wells were then sealed. Now, Roxana catches a lot of flack for this, because she had two women murdered for selfish reasons, but I personally disagree with her demonization for this. I'm not saying what she did was right, because it was wrong. But, you know, I want, I want you guys to just sit right now and put yourself in her shoes. Imagine you are this 17-year-old girl. Your big, powerful husband dies. You're pregnant with his baby. You know you're going to have to fight tooth and nail to protect your child from all these people who can now go after you. Not to mention there could be possible claimants to the throne if another one of the wives were pregnant, and Roxana had everything in the bag. She didn't want to lose it. She was just trying to clear the way for her child to rule that empire, as was her child's right, and it was currently being ripped away from her by greedy generals who hated her because she was a foreigner. And, you know, let's be real. If she was a man, she wouldn't be getting this hate. She probably would be considered, like, smart and cunning for it. But, you know, alas, history sucks for women. I'm pretty sure, like, Alexander, when he came 
to the throne. I feel like he murdered a brother of his or something. and Or maybe that was his mom. I don't know. But the point is, she wouldn't be getting this kind of hate if she was a man. Let's be real. Now, after Alexander's death, Roxana knew she needed protection after all the shit she just did to secure her child's claim. And she was able to find a friend in Alexander's mother, Olympias, who, by the way, is a pretty fascinating lady, and she's kind of a bad bitch. Um, She's very well known for being smart and cunning, and she was also a part of this very scary snake cult. Like, she really, really likes snakes. Um, So that's cool. And um, in the 2004 Alexander movie, she's played by Angelina Jolie. So, every time I talk about Olympias, all I can picture is Angelina Jolie, so uh, thanks Oliver Stone. <laughs> anyway, uh, Olympias was kind of the perfect ally for Roxana. So, Roxana traveled to Macedonia, and Olympias kind of like accepted her daughter-in-law with open arms. Um, it's probably not because Olympias actually liked her. Actually, I'm not even sure Olympias and Roxana had ever met before, uh, but Alexander was a mama's boy, and Olympias was going to do whatever she could to protect her grandchild since she didn't have her son anymore. And a few months after Roxana was taken in by Olympias, Roxana gave birth to her baby, and guess what? It was a very healthy baby boy, so woo, empire secure! And guess what she named it? I'm going to give you a minute. Alexander. She named it Alexander. If you guessed Alexander, guess what? You're right, because she named it after Alexander. Wow, so creative. Now, as baby Alexander grew up, um, he had several regents to help him govern the kingdom while he was still a little baby. And at one point, they set up uh, this uncle of his as king, like trying to like um, not let Alexander rule. For, for some reason, and I actually think the uncle was, like, mentally handicapped, so, like, that didn't last long, and eventually little Alex was restored to his rightful throne. Um, but more trouble, when one of baby Alex's regions ended up dying and a new one had to be appointed, a guy named, oh, okay, great word, I can do this, Polly Pertron, yeah, Polly Pertron, hold on, I need another drink, crap. Okay. So, Polypertron was chosen, but the son of the last regent was this dude named Cassander, and he was like, well, I, sh- I should have been chosen. This is ridiculous. So, Cassander started a war, because, you know, why not? Um, and baby Alexander, I think he was about five years old at this point. Uh, so, this war was about who should have custody over Roxanne and her son. Now, Polypertron tried to fight Cassander off, but eventually... Roxana, baby Alex, Polypertron, and Olympias had to get the fuck out of there because Cassander was causing shit. So Olympias um, eventually decided to become her grandson's regent, which made Cassander extra pissed that he still wasn't regent. Uh, after a little bit of fighting, Cassander was eventually able to catch up to them and they were forced to surrender. And when Cassander captured them, he initially agreed to be nice to Olympias and, like, to not hurt her for, you know, various reasons, but Cassandra, that little motherfucker, had Olympias murdered even though he promised he wouldn't. Now, he probably had her killed because she definitely would have been, would not have accepted Cassandra as regent. Um, take note, kids, because that was a dick move on Cassandra's part. 
Now, after this, there was a second squabble over the Regency because fuck Cassander, but uh, that's not important, uh, and it's also, like, a really long thing that I just don't want to explain. <laughs> but the, the thing is, Cassander won again, and there was also this treaty that was signed at the end of this little squabble that said when Al- baby Alex turned 14, he could rule on his own. So until that time, Roxana had to kind of like raise her son like under house arrest. And they were under house arrest for over seven years. But you know, over those seven years, Cassandra got less and less interested in letting baby Alex rule when he had, you know, all this power to himself. And he was thinking, hmm, you know, We don't need that kid anymore. You know, I'm an adult. I can rule. So when baby Alex was about two years shy of being 14, Cassandra decided to be a bitch and sentenced Roxana and baby Alex to death. Now, I don't know how in the fuck he got away with uh, having Roxana and baby Alex executed because I believe the whole empire recognized baby Alex as king. So I, I don't know how he got away with it, but... Um, Cassandra had both of them poisoned for good measure. Baby Alex was only 12 years old and Roxana was 31 at the time of her death. Now, after they both died, Alexander's generals divided up the empire into seven. You know, I believe Cassandra got Macedonia. Um, one of Alexander's generals named Ptolemy, if you remember that name from Cleopatra, got Egypt and that's where Cleopatra's line comes from. Um, and you know, all... The dividing of Alexander's empire is like a complete mess. I could make a whole nother episode on that if I wanted to talk about it, but I won't. Uh, so let's get into her legacy. Now, as I said at the start of the episode, Roxana does not have a good rep for several reasons. Her legacy is about jealousy and murder. Um, but I think she was so, so much more than a, like a jealous bitch that you read about in the history books. I think she was interesting and more complex than she's ever given credit for. Um, I genuinely, genuinely had a great and very frustrating time <laughs> researching her. She's very fascinating. And also, remember, she was a teenager for a lot <laughs> of this crap. So, like, I think we have to give her a little leeway. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode. Bye! Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. All right. uh, Bye.